0: We continue this morning in our sermon series, the book of Genesis. Today we arrive at Genesis chapter 39. This is God's word to us. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian, who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome, and after a while his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants were inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care. Because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. God, we know that your word is true. It is good. It is useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness. And so we pray that you would give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear, give us hearts to believe all that you have to say to us today. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's a bit of a challenge when we get into the Joseph narrative in Genesis to to draw clean lines, to know how to break up the text into manageable chunks. Uh, and, and I, I seek uh, each week to do so, to draw the best lines that we can from here on out. Essentially, every passage builds on the one right before it, and so what you'll find is that there's a lot of overlap between the passages. Uh, from here until the end of Genesis, and so most weeks I'm going to I'm going to just uh, break it up along chapter lines, handling one to three chapters from here uh, to the end of the book. It, it, but it is really one cohesive story, and so uh, I'd encourage you in the coming weeks to uh, to read through the remainder of of Genesis from chapter forty until the end of the book to get a sort of a lay of the land because I'll be dealing with Uh, some of these larger passages of Scripture to uh, read through and get a sense of the trajectory that we're on. It's helpful to remember that that we leave off today's text in verse 23, and the very next verse in chapter 40 that we'll deal with next Sunday continues the story. It just sort of in one breath picks up right where we leave off. So these passages don't have nice clean borders, but there is uh, a lot within each of them. Uh, from which we can learn, and more importantly, through which uh, we can see the Savior. Uh, So as we direct our attention today to Genesis chapter 39 and uh, Joseph's encounter with Potiphar's wife, uh, then followed by his imprisonment, I want to draw your attention to uh, three ideas that I think are of great importance uh, for us in this text this morning. And the first one is this, and that's the faithful presence of God. I don't know if you caught it when I read the text or not, but there's some some symmetry to this passage, to chapter 39, some consistency uh, that's worth making note of. Uh, Look first at verses 2 through 4. Listen to verses 2 through 4. It says, The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. And then jump down to the end of the chapter, verses 20 and 21, and listen to what we hear in verses 20 and 21. It says, But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. And then again in verse 23, The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care, because the Lord was with Joseph. You see that connection between the beginning of the chapter and the end, the, the consistency. Four times, the Lord was with Joseph, the Lord was with him, the Lord was with him, the Lord was with Joseph. Do you think that maybe there there's something that we're supposed to remember from this text when it's repeated four times? Something we're supposed to hang on to when we think about the story and the life of Joseph. Joseph's story is a reminder of... Of the faithful presence of God. That God is present with us without regard for our circumstances. Notice that the first reminders of God's presence are in a very different setting, a very different context than the last reminders. In in the opening verses of the chapter, God is with Joseph when he's at the top. He's prospering. He's entrusted with the care and the leadership of Potiphar's household. This is quite the ascension, if you think of it, from the bottom of the, of the cistern uh, back home to suddenly a, a position of power in one of the most significant empires in the history of humanity. Uh, but by the end of the chapter, the tables have turned. And we'll talk more about those events in a minute, but I think it's important to see this consistency of God's faithfulness, his faithful present, uh, presence, despite the change, the drastic change, really, In Joseph's circumstances the chapter ends with Joseph in prison but with the exact same language that we had at the beginning that the Lord was with him and we of course live with this promise as well one of the prevailing themes throughout the Bible is the reality of God's presence among us as a source of of comfort a source of hope God is not distant and disconnected but he is present among us and perhaps the most important part of this promise is that our circumstances our location our present situation doesn't impact the reality of God's presence among us we take great comfort in the fact that God was present with Joseph during his times of success in Potiphar's house and during his times of Uh, of suffering in prison we see in the story of joseph the faithful presence of god but we also see the cost of obedience joseph at no fault of his own finds himself in an impossible situation pursued by the wife of his boss he resists her he tries to reason with her but in verse 10 we find that she persists day after day. Joseph was an attractive man, the text tells us, and she wouldn't give up. And so one day when no one else is around, she makes her move again and she grabs onto his cloak and Joseph is, is so committed to obeying his God that, that he runs away and leaves his cloak behind. But, but that, uh, that uh, unrequited lust, Finally catches up with her and she decides that if she can't have Joseph, she will have him sent to prison. It's exactly what she does. She concocts a story for her husband and then uh, he has Joseph sent to the king's prison. And this is a perfect example and we see these situations time and again in scripture when obedience can be costly. Now how costly was this uh, uh, decision to obey for Joseph. Uh, we don't know exactly how long Joseph was in prison. In our text for next week, in chapter 40, we'll see that Joseph was in prison for at least two years. Uh, some of the time, uh, sort of from that, from the time that we'll talk about next week when he interprets the first dreams until he's out of prison, we know is is at least two years. Uh, Jewish tradition, so uh, as much as we would Trust, extra-biblical Jewish tradition, uh, tells us that, uh, that it was a period of 10 years. Uh, if we just look at the math, so everything we know, if we do the math, we know that it was a window of some time between 2 and 13 years <clears throat> that Joseph spent in the prison. I think all of us would agree that even, if, even on the lower end, even if it was just 2 years, it's a pretty significant price to pay. For obedience for doing the right thing for making the right decisions he, he did he did everything right but he still paid a significant price but again that's that's nothing new right that's the very the very basis the very foundation the very core of the Christian faith the the innocent one punished while the guilty parties get off without repercussion Jesus himself and quite likely all of his disciples Except for one that we know of, uh, died as martyrs at the hands of wicked men. And this would continue throughout history, both at the hands of pagan and wicked emperors, also uh, wolves who had deceived their way into control of the church. Uh, I was was looking at doing some, some reading this week and came across the fact that it was 608 years ago this week that a man named John Huss, some of you are familiar with John Huss, an early reformer, predated uh, Martin Luther uh, from the, what's now the Czech Republic. Uh, 608 years ago this last week, John Huss was martyred by the church for teaching biblical doctrine, for teaching against the teaching of the Roman church. He sang hymns as they burned him to death. I think we're entering maybe another era in which we're going to find obedience to Christ increasingly costly. There are voices in our world today that are calling the moral law found in Scripture regarding things like human sexuality to be bigoted or hateful. We may not be that far removed from our congregation being labeled a hate group based upon our statement of faith. But I foresee our obedience to Christ also being costly in other senses as well. Maybe a political sense as our hyper-tribal political system demands increasing loyalty, increasing purity of of ideas. Thoughtful biblical Christians are, are finding themselves politically homeless, unable to affirm all of what any one party demands that they affirm. But I think there are other areas regarding the costliness of obedience that are nothing new at all, to live in obedience to Christ means that he has control of our schedule, our bank account, the the places we invest our time and our energy, the things that we say yes to, the things that we reject. Luke chapter 6 tells us in in what are often uh, for many of us haunting words uh, that a tree is known by its fruit. And so the question before us when we talk about obedience is what kind of Free am I according to my fruit? Am I charitable, loving, gracious, kind, peaceful, hopeful, joyful, generous, or, or do I look exactly the same as a, a world that doesn't know Jesus, but maybe with a few less cuss words? Obedience is, is costly, at least. Biblical obedience, it certainly encompasses morality, but oftentimes when we think of obedience, all we think of is morality, but that's not how scripture speaks of obedience. It's never only morality. Joseph's obedience in the face of great temptation causes us to to look within, to evaluate our own commitment to obedience, even when the cost of obeying is great. But of course, it also reminds us, and and I've I've mentioned this in almost every sermon when we've mentioned Joseph, it also reminds us of the one to whom Joseph points us. Countless preachers and scholars have pointed out the way that Joseph serves in Scripture, in Genesis, as a type of Christ. And I'm going to talk more about that next Sunday. Uh, But as I mentioned several weeks ago, when we talked about Joseph being sold into slavery, he is pointing us forward uh, to the Savior. And of course, we know that Jesus himself was faced with great temptation, but that he triumphed over the tempter, but but not before that tempter, that father of lies, had a good laugh at the costliness of Jesus' obedience. Joseph's temptation and obedience reminds us that Jesus overcame temptation and then overcame the tempter. One more idea that I want to share with you from our text this morning, and that's uh, the reality of God's favor. The reality of God's favor. Just like the, the presence of God, the favor of God plays a strong role in both the beginning of our text and the end of our text. Uh, let's look first at, at verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. And he lived in the house of his e- Egyptian master, God had preordained these events in the life of Joseph. I mentioned last Sunday that God is going to send all of Israel to Egypt. And we know, uh, some of you know how the story unfolds, as God will send famine, Uh, and we'll talk about that in in coming weeks, to drive the the Israelites to Egypt. And I mentioned last week that a a significant reason for that is that, that God knew that the people of Israel would end up, if they were comfortable, would end up intermarrying with uh, their neighbors and that their faith in God would be destroyed. And so he was arranging for them to be sent, to be forced into Egypt. Uh, And so we shouldn't be surprised at at Joseph's success when he ends up in Egypt. Uh, We shouldn't be surprised at the favor that he experienced because God was orchestrating all of this in the first place. But we also see God's favor with Joseph after he's thrown into prison. Notice verse 20. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care. Because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. God gave favor to Joseph. Now you might be wondering, and, and rightly so, if it's really favor when he's still imprisoned. Is it really God's favor to end up in prison for at least two, maybe up to, to 10, 11, 12, 13 years? Is that really what we would call favor from God? And, and that's a good question and what we discover here and and everywhere in the scriptures really is that the gospel the good news of Jesus redefines our understanding of what it means to be favored by God I want to say that again because it's so important for us the the gospel redefines our understanding of God's favor I'm hesitant to use that word favor because it's it's a word that's been misunderstood and abused by so many Christians, especially, uh, especially uh, money-loving TV preachers. Uh, but our text uses the word, and so, so I want to give it the proper context through which we can understand it. When we hear the word uh, favor in a context like this, we often just automatically substitute the word favorite, right? But we don't want to do that here. The, the favor of God both before and after Joseph's imprisonment, is always rooted, it always has its foundation in God's goodness and grace and salvation and plan to redeem the world. If this wasn't all part of something bigger, if, this, if, this, if the individual events of Joseph's life weren't part of something more significant, uh, this, nobody would care about this story, Right? That there may have been temporary success, but it would be lost to history uh, because it wouldn't be true favor if it, if it, if it didn't have some sort of, uh, of larger significance. You see, the gospel of Jesus says that Jesus came, that he met our greatest need, our most significant problem, and that there is nothing left for us to do. There's nothing left to chance that the end of the story has been written. And here, here's the best part. The gospel says that the end of the story is written in our favor when we are in Christ. Romans 8.28 uh, words it this way. Maybe a verse that some of you memorized in Sunday school as kids. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those of us who are trusting in Christ, God promises that in all things, in every situation, He is working for our good, even when it doesn't make sense. Even when we can't comprehend how this could ever be good. God's word promises that in all things, God is working for our good. Even when we're in the cistern, even when we're in the prison, That God is working for our good. That's the promise of God. Why? Because the end of the story is written. Because because God has already decided how Joseph's situation is going to resolve itself. And how our situations are going to resolve themselves. The ending is written and the ending is good. And it's guaranteed Martin Luther expressed it uh, this way in his most famous hymn. Uh, he, He said these words. He says, the body they may kill. God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. But what about those intense times of suffering? Those Valleys that we walk through those times of struggle that seem to make no sense God uses seasons of intense trial and suffering uh, To lead us into more resolute faith to teach us to depend wholly on him and 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 to prepare us to to prepare us to to follow him to serve him wherever he leads us when our when our lives are, are part of God's mission when we See our lives as part of God's larger mission to save and redeem the world. When, when our lives are enveloped in the mission of God, when, when we give ourselves to to His leading and His purposes, no suffering is in vain. No, no struggle is without meaning. No, no hardship is random. They can all be viewed as God giving us an opportunity to, to love him, to, to know him better, to, to love our neighbors better. E- even the very worst seasons of suffering can be redeemed. It doesn't make the pain go away, but it helps us place it in its proper context. Even, even the worst seasons of life, even things like, like death, can be used by our God to, to comfort others when they experience the same thing. We we might say that being part of God's mission, seeing our lives as ultimately belonging to Him and not not to ourselves, allows us to put everything in its proper place. For the child of God, even the worst suffering is always two things. Think about this. Even the worst suffering, for those who are in Christ, is always two things. It's always temporary, right? And, And it's always useful for helping us love and care for our neighbors more even the worst things that we encounter in life they're always temporary because there's something greater that awaits us because the end of the story has been written and and, and second it gives us an opportunity to comfort others as they walk through that dark valley The, the, the favor of God think about this as we think about Joseph's story The favor of God is not everything going well all the time. It's the promise that in everything, God is working for good, even when we can't understand it. And that our greatest and most significant need is always met in Christ. If you are trusting in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you've received the greatest measure of favor that has ever existed. An irrevocable guarantee that you belong to Christ, and that when you breathe your last, you will be with Christ. That, that outshines any earthly success that we could ever receive. And so we live from that place as, as the children of God, as the people of, of God, we live from that place knowing that our greatest need has been met, knowing that God is working for good in each and every circumstance. We we live from that place in repentance because we know our own disobedience, because we see into our own hearts. But we live trusting in what Jesus has done for us, resting entirely upon his work for us on the cross, his perfect obedience in the face of great temptation. Placing all of our hope in the promise that his obedience is given to us as if it were our own by faith. We live with great assurance that God will continue, will always work for good in all things for those who love him, and that he will always be with us. And that is true favor, whether in the palace or in the prison let's pray God we are thankful for the promise of your presence that you were present with Joseph that you are present with us we thank you that this account of Joseph's life is not just an encouraging story but that in so many ways it points us to your son Jesus who was perfectly obedient despite the cost We thank you that that in your grace we have the full measure of your favor in Christ. That we couldn't, when we are in Christ, we couldn't possibly receive more favor. God, help us to live our lives knowing that you are working for our good. Even in those times when we are in the prison. Strengthen us to, to live in obedience in all things without regard for the cost. So Lord may that may the hearing of your word produce good fruit within us. We pray in Jesus name. Amen.